you have your Bibles, I invite you to find them. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, and this morning we're going to be looking at verse 28 specifically. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, and they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground and everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you've given it to us, that it instructs us in all of life. Father, where would we be without it? We're so very thankful for it. Lord, this morning as we meditate on it, may the words of my lips and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, for your glory and for our good. Amen. You ever want to have a little fun with somebody after they've been talking for a little while on the plane or on the bus? They look at you and ask you what you do. Tell them you're a preacher. It's usually a good time. Not always, but sometimes. Just recently, I flew. I was in Minneapolis, Minnesota, and um, I came back. I picked up the shuttle there at the airport, and I caught the last shuttle. So it was 11 or midnight, I don't remember, somewhere in there. I came out. I had just missed the previous shuttle. And so I was catching that very last one, and I went, and I found the, the shuttle. It was chilly that night, and so um, so I went ahead and climbed on, and I was the only guy on there, so I sat right behind the driver. And, um, and so the driver was talking about all sorts of stuff, and he was using very colorful language, because apparently most men in airports use very colorful language. And so he was, he wasn't necessarily vulgar, but he, he was using lots of very colorful adjectives and those sorts of things. You get the idea. And so we were just kind of having this conversation. And, um, and then somewhere in the midst of that, another, actually a West Point cadet climbed on to the bus. She was heading to a dining out event, um, down in Athens. And, um, and so, she climbed on. She had gotten a, a pass for Thursday, Friday, Saturday to go to this event with her fiancé. So she climbed on. So the conversation started going. We started driving. And a few minutes down the road, a bus driver said, well, what do you do? And I said, I'm a preacher. <laughs> and all of a sudden, the conversation changed. We could say it's a miracle. Only... What happened was, once he understood my job, 
right? Once he understood what it was that I did, um, which is tied very closely in most circumstances to who we are, okay? Once he understood my job, he understood what kind of conversation he should now have with me. And as most people do, he immediately wanted to talk about the book of Revelation. Now, I'll just tell you, fascinating. So we are having this conversation. The cadet behind me says, you know, I believe in God, but I, I'm, I, I guess I have lots of questions. So this guy's going down the road like this, I think, okay? Um, weaving, I, I, I mean, I was, I was car sick five minutes into the ride, and I'm just doing everything I can to focus. So I'm exhausted, I'm car sick, and, uh, and we're having a conversation about the book of Revelation. None of those are my favorites, by the way, okay? But we're going down the road, and the, as the cadet began to talk, and she chimed in, we, we just had this great conversation that started, and I was really able to share. I shared the Lord with her. We talked a lot about different things, her experiences with church. And um, I gave her my card when I got off the bus. She emailed me a couple of days later. We've been in contact this weekend, today. Um, why don't we just pray for her? She is supposed to be attending Tim Keller's church in downtown New York City. And... Um, I kind of directed her there. I directed her to another church, and um, and then I also directed her to Keller Street. She said, we will be down in the city this weekend. She's not usually down there, and I think I'll try to go to his church. She's got big questions. Let's just pray for her. Father, I want to pray right now for Cadet Shana, and I just want to ask that you would um, be at work in her heart and mind as she's there, perhaps attending church, if not uh, listening to Tim Keller's Reason for God. Father, would you use that? Would you use your word? Would you use circumstances in her life to draw her to yourself? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Great opportunity. So we've been in touch, and, um, and so we've emailed a few times. I look forward to hearing what the Lord does. Pray for, if you would, as well. When we learn about our job, when someone learns what it is that we do, they can now have a conversation with us, right? When we learn about our job, we can have a conversation as well. We're in the book of Genesis. We're looking at this passage, and this thing is driving me crazy this morning. We learned last week, we talked about the fact that God has created us in his image. And so we started advancing on that idea, thinking about what does it mean that we're created in the image of God. This morning, we get to talk about what it is that he has for us the job, the function that he created us for. So we're made in his image. Now as we're made in his image, what is it that he wants us to do? And so the passage that we just read gives us at least five things. We're going to talk about them under two headings, but he gave us five things, right? We're to prosper, we're to reproduce, we're to fill the earth, we're to subdue the earth, and we're to rule over the earth, okay? And so Those five things, though, can be summed up under two ideas. And here are the ideas. We are to multiply and we are to have dominion. Multiply, have dominion. Okay? If you took our job, whatever your job is, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, your job is to multiply and to have dominion. Okay? Um, you, You may do... Any number of things. And as I look out here, I know you. I know the sorts of things you've been involved with. We have a wide variety of 
careers and jobs that are represented here this morning. But basically, your job, my job, boil them down. They are to multiply and to have dominion. No matter where you're at, no matter what stage of life you're in, no matter, um, there is no barrier, age, sex, race, creed, no matter where you are on the planet, all of that, you boil it down, your job has two functions, and that is you are to multiply images of God, and you are to have dominion over God's creation. Now, I want us to look at those two mandates. First, we are to multiply. We are to extend the reach of the kingdom. That is essentially what is being asked of us when we are to prosper and to reproduce. Now, We've already seen in, uh, in previous sermons that God intended for Adam and Eve to have children and that those children would have children. So the idea of multiplication is fairly simple when you think about it. This is not complex, okay? Adam and Eve were to bear children who would bear children who would bear children, and in that sense they would multiply images of God around the planet. God would extend his kingdom, his rule, his reign, his dominion around the globe by the multiplication of his image. Now, that job was thwarted, frustrated by what event? The fall, okay? So the fall frustrated the multiplication of the image of God around the planet. It frustrated it. That's why you get a command when you get to the book of Deuteronomy and and you get the Shema, okay? You get that single greatest commandment. Hear, O Israel, this is in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And then Moses gives them this command. These commandments that I give today are to be on your hearts, And you are to impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads and write them on the door frames of your houses and your gates. Okay? Now, if if Adam and Eve hadn't fallen, they wouldn't have needed the rest of those commandments because their children would have been, their children would have had you know, their DNA would have been wired such that they would have loved God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they would have gone on their merry way, and they would have exercised dominion over every creature on the planet. They would have just done it. But because of the fall, that was frustrated, and now the image of God is not as it should be in them. And so... We are given the commandment that we are to take these passions that have been stirred up in us for God and we're to impress them on our children. And, and when you look at it, it's the totality of life. Moses is saying, wherever you're at, whatever you're doing, take every opportunity to impress this love you have for the Lord your God on your children and teach them the law and teach them his ways and do, and do those sorts of things with your children. And by doing that, you will do what? You will multiply images of your creator around this planet. Now, there are at least three really big hindrances to multiplying images of God. 
I've just given you the definition of what it looks like, but there are some problems. Here's the first one. The first big hindrance is to see the mandate as simply a command to have children, to bear children. If you stop there, obviously you are not doing what God has called you to do. It isn't just having children. It isn't just raising children. That That is not what God is calling us to do. He is calling us to do something actually much more sophisticated than that. He's asking us to teach and train our children to love him. Are you with me? So that is what we're being asked to do. But there's one of the problems is that so many times we believe that just bearing children or growing children or putting food in their mouths and putting a shelter over them and giving them clothing somehow is fulfilling the mandate that God has given to us to multiply. Animals are multiplying everywhere. God didn't just ask us to multiply. He asked us to multiply images of him. That's what he's asking us to do. And so the critical part of that then, and the critical part of subduing the earth for him, is that our children and our grandchildren and so on and so forth would know the Lord their God and that they would love him with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's why Deuteronomy chapter 6 is what it is. As Moses gives them that admonition. Listen, here at Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church, one of the things that we talked about, one of the things the pulpit committee talked about with me when they were bringing me here was that they wanted our church to grow younger in some ways. All right? So... Um, And I got that. I understand what it was they were asking me to do. But listen, we don't want to merely grow younger so that we have younger faces in our congregation. That's That's not the idea. That can't be the idea, just to have young people around. We want to grow younger because we want to come alongside parents and do what? Nurture their children. Help grow their children. You've heard that phrase, um, I think a politician may have uttered it. It takes a community or it takes a village. It takes a village. I know. I've seen a lot. Oh, my goodness. You're kidding me. You did not just quote her. I am because you know what? It's really great stuff. It really does. God created us so that we would have a community around us. Some of you are too young, right? Hillary Clinton's the one that said that. I see some quizzical looks. It takes, it does take a village. He created us and put us into a village, a people, a group, a body, right? And he asks us to love one another's children as our neighbors and to care for them and to nurture them. When we have these covenants, we just had a baptism, right? The rocker's little baby. And, and I held her and I said, do you promise as a congregation of the Lord's people to come alongside Walt and Tara and to help raise their daughter? And all of you raised your hand. Well, that's what we're talking about. Will you assist covenant parents raising covenant children for the glory of God? Why do we want to grow younger? Not just to have cute little faces around the congregation, but to have children in our congregation that we can come alongside parents and nurture them. And so many of you are already doing that in various venues. That is what we're talking about. Here's the second main hindrance. The second main hindrance is letting other mandates take priority in our lives. 
letting other mandates take priority in our lives. Now, don't get mad at me. I'm going to take a shot at the American dream, okay? Because part of the American dream is that you would have life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. When happiness, trump, when happiness, when your personal happiness trumps God's biblical mandate to multiply and have dominion, guess what? You're out of whack. And unfortunately, today in the Western world, the pursuit of happiness is the end all and be all. I know multiple couples, multiple young couples who have said, we're not having children because we're having fun. Okay? We're not having children. We're not going to raise children. We're not going to be involved in that because it, it, it hinders our pursuit of happiness. We have, an, we, have, um, we have a commitment in, this, in our country to a very terrible practice. And, and the reason, I think, part of the reason we have a commitment to that practice is because we don't want children to hinder our pursuit of pleasure. All right? Now, that's just, that's just kind of our reality. And, um, and so there's a, a big hindrance there. We're out of whack when pursuing our own personal pleasure takes over and trumps the biblical mandate, which is to multiply images of God. Now, you're saying, well, I'm way, we're, way be, we're way beyond those years, okay? Ah, hold on. Because the final hindrance is to think that the cultural mandate is to multiply, to multiply images of God has to do with bearing children alone. It doesn't. Okay? It doesn't. And here's why. That mandate, it has more to do with just bearing children. It has to do with the multiplication of images of God. Okay, And so when you engage in the process of teaching Sunday school, when you engage in a process of discipling young men and young women or old men and old women, whatever it is, when you are participating in the restoration of the image of God in another person, which is what you do when you come alongside them and you walk through life with them and you share your biblical story with them, your testimony of what God's done, the grace, the mercy, the love, when you're sharing that with someone and you're walking with them and you're lifting them up, you are multiplying images of God. You are participating in what Jesus told us to do, and that is what? Go and make disciples of all nations. When Jesus said that, he was expanding the cultural mandate beyond bearing children. He was saying part of your mandate is to go and make disciples of the nations. So you're here this morning, you're way beyond childbearing years, you're not doing that anymore, um, you love the grandkids to come over and have ice cream and Dr. Pepper and then you send them back, all right, you love those days, guess what? You're called for more than that, all right, you're not done, it's, it's not over, you're participating. When you go to Atlas Ministries, when you go out to Habitat, when you do all of these things that you do and you are doing, and I want to encourage you to continue and be more involved in, you're participating in the cultural mandate to multiply images of God, and it's good. So don't be hindered by thinking, oh, well, the, that portion is done for me, the multiplication portion. No, it isn't. You're still involved and you're still called to be out there doing it. 
So that's the first thing. The first thing we're called to do is multiply images of God. The second thing that we're called to do is we're called to exercise care in creation. Now, I chose those words very carefully. Exercise, care, and creation. The old theologians called it have dominion. That doesn't sound very good, does it? Doesn't sound dominion? Really? Hey, we're to exercise care in creation. That means we go out into the world and we harness it for the glory of God. You do that, we do that, and all sorts of... Now listen, remember, Moses' hearer would have understood... They would have understood this picture quite easily. You take images of the ruler or the emperor, you push them out into the kingdom, let everybody see who you are and what you're doing, and you subdue them. Right? You put them under your thumb, you let them know that you're ruling and reigning, you have big armies, and, and the people know that because they see you out there. Now think about what Moses is saying. The people are going to see you out there, loving Touching, caring, generous, supportive, kind, all of those things, they're going to see you out in the world doing them. And they're going to see you out in the world pursuing excellence in everything you do. And when they see that, they will know that he is there, he's good, and that he loves us. Adam and Eve lived a very agrarian lifestyle. They were in constant touch with the land. Listen, that is not the only way we have dominion. You don't have to have a garden to have dominion over the land. Hey, when we read those words, you go, oh, well, geez, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm out of the picture because I'm not farming. I don't have cows. Um, that's not the idea. Um, I forgot to ask Christopher if I could use this example. So here goes, Christopher, sorry. A week or so ago, Christopher got an assignment in a science class. And he was to do a report essentially on energy in the state of Georgia. And so he went and he began, he did two parts, nuclear energy and then coal production. And so he learned all about those forms of energy and how they work. And, and I, I was coming home and he's telling me, Dad, you're not going to believe it. Uranium, this one uranium pellet can produce as much energy as all these tons of coals. And so he had all this science, and all this stuff. He was really excited. And then he did his report on that. And so he told all of his classmates about the state of, of energy production in the state of Georgia. It was fascinating stuff. As you think about that, right, as you learn about that, as you know all of that, you are understanding and sensing the subduing of creation, that all of these things are used for our good, for the glory of God. I would just say this, energy, the, the lights on, amazing, it, it really is energy, the harnessing of energy transformed the world how many of y'all been to haiti if you haven't been go because the ministry is the opportunities are tremendous when i went to haiti we went to the island of Loganov. energy is very it's scarce on the mainland it's really scarce on the island of Loganov. that's why the uh average age folks live to in Haiti is so uh, depressed. 
because of energy, because they lack. So here they had, we're driving along, they have giant piles of stone, and they're, they're creating what we use in our green eggs to smoke with, okay, um, the lump charcoal. They're making lump charcoal in order to cook their meals in order to survive each and every day. And so as we drove up into the mountains in this truck, um, all along the way they were taking little sticks and they're putting them under rocks, and it's smoldering. There, I know some, there's a scientist in here that could explain all of that to me, but basically it extracts the something out of that, burns it down, and turns it into charcoal. That, it's, that's the simple version. But there were piles of these all over the place, and I thought to myself, it, it, it's, it's the scarcity of this thing that we just flip lights and it comes on that causes their life expectancy to be so depressed. All of that being harnessed for the good of God's people. That you would live longer. That you would bring glory to God longer. That you would have more breaths on this planet by which you served him and bring glory to him. In the 1800s, there was a Dutch theologian and a politician. His name was Abraham Kuyper. Here's the way he put it. He said, oh, no single piece of our mental world is to be hermetically sealed off from the rest. And there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. Abraham Kuyper was getting to the idea, right, that as we go out into the world, everything we touch, everything we do, every, every part of it, is being harnessed for the glory of God by the one who loves God. All truth, another way of saying this, is all truth is God's truth. You go into the hospital and they do medical procedures on you, who knows who developed that? I don't care if, I don't care if the guy was a, a professed atheist or if he was a Presbyterian elder. doesn't make any difference to me. I'm just glad that they figured out that arteries work the way they do and the heart pumps the way it does and all of those things are working, right? Diabetes and the like, okay? All of those things happening, people understanding and learning and knowing about the Bible, I mean the the body and us and energy and science and all of these things. Someone said, "We we discover truth through the sciences, we apply the truth through technology, You are out in the world. You're touching, sensing, seeing, feeling the world around us. Every time you do and every time you do it, and you do it for his glory, you are exercising dominion in a way that is good. There was a a man, a fantastic example of exercising dominion found in a man that you may or may not have heard much about. His name is George Washington Carver. And he was born near the end of the Civil War in a family of slaves. And um, he scrimped and saved and and, um, eventually made his way through high school and then finally on to university. He was invited by Booker T. Washington to come to the newly founded Tuskegee Institute in Alabama. And he went there and he essentially changed the economy of the South and the economy of other countries by the study of what? Peanuts. The peanut, right? The little old peanut in a shell. 
Yes. And here's a, here's, a, here's a couple of little quotes from his biographer. He wrote that he, that is um, George Washington Carver, devoutly believed that a personal relationship with the, with the creator of all things was the only foundation for the abundant life. He had a, he had a little story in which he related his experience. He said, I asked the great, great creator what the universe was made for. Ask for something more in keeping with that little mind of yours, he replied. So, Carver asked, what was man made for? And his creator responded, little man, you still want to know too much. Cut down the extent of your quest and improve the intent. Carver said, then I told the creator I wanted to know about the peanut." And he replied that my mind was too small to know about to know all about the peanut, but he said he would give me a handful of peanuts. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth. To you it shall be for meat, and I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. And I carried the peanuts into my laboratory, and the Creator told me to take them apart and resolve them into their elements. With such knowledge as I had of chemistry and physics, I set to work to take them apart. I separated the water, the fats, the oils, the gums, the resins, the sugars, the starches, amino acids. There, I had the parts of the peanuts all spread out before me. And then he used them. There are over 150 different uses that he discovered for the peanut and the shell and the oils and the resins and all of those things. And he went to work. He worked for Franklin Delano Roosevelt. He worked for Mahatma Gandhi. He, he worked for all of these guys. He was offered a six-figure job that he turned down in order to continue his pursuit of research. In 1921, he testified before Congress. The chairman asked him, Dr. Carver, how did you learn these things? And he answered, from an old book. What book? asked the senator. And Carver replied, the Bible. And the senator inquired, does the Bible tell you about peanuts? No, sir, Carver replied, but it tells me about the God who made the peanut, and I asked him to show me what to do with the peanut, and he did. Carver looked for divine direction, and he saw that God was the revealer of all truth, and he is. Where are you exercising dominion? Out in the world. Where are you exercising dominion today? With your voice? Listen, somebody asked me, uh, here's my plug, okay? I'm in a play. It's this Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday afternoon. I ask, oh, why would you do that? Well, because I've wanted to. And because in it, I get to exercise dominion over my voice and my actions, and my facial expressions. I I get to act. I get to take control of that, and I get to play another role, and I get to exercise dominion in that sphere. And it's good, and it's okay, and you can do that. Listen, I would much rather listen to someone, and I've worked very hard. I've worked very hard at it because it's been a long time. I I said this morning in our Sunday school class, I, I would much rather listen to an amazing guitar solo by a guy who maybe doesn't even know the Lord, say, Eddie Van Halen, 
as I would someone who, you know, uh, didn't take the time to do very well as a musician and put together some really horrible lyrics to mention God. That's just the honest truth. There's some really bad music out there that, that classify that is, qualifies as Christian music. Give me a great musician who sings about the realities of the world that we live in but doesn't know God, and I'll take it every day over bad theology and horrible music. Because exercising dominion is a good thing, and it's done by people all over the planet. Okay, You and I are believers. What we want to do is exercise dominion for the glory of God. They're exercising dominion for the glory of man. We get to benefit from it. We want to exercise dominion for the glory of God. Some of you have been doing that your whole careers, and it's been awesome, and it's amazing, and I love hearing your stories, and I want to hear more of your stories because I love to hear about where you've been and what you've done with what God has given to you. It thrills me because then I I start praying about ways in which you're going to get used here in this church and in this community in these retirement years, and that's very exciting too, right? Because what did the Apostle Paul tell us? The Apostle Paul told us, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it to the glory of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness to us today. Thank you for the way in which you've gifted us. Thank you for the way in which you've gifted this congregation, these people, Father, who have come. We worship together. They have gifts and talents and abilities. Wild. Um, amazing opportunities that are before them yet to exercise dominion and multiplication in this world in which we live. Let us be creative. Let us be thoughtful as a congregation about the ways in which we go about doing this. And all of it, Father, we pray that you will get glory and that it will be for our good. In Jesus' name, amen.